Uh, now is a time for scripture reading. Uh, if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to turn to Micah chapter 7, verse 18 to 20. A really short passage today. Uh, it'll be up on my left, your right, um, but I do encourage you guys to open your Bible and read along as I uh, read it out loud. Micah chapter 7, verse 18 to 20. Verse 18. Who is a God like you? pardoning iniquity and passing over transgressions for the remnant of his inheritance. He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast out all our sin into the depths of the sea. You will show faithfulness to Jacob and steadfast love to Abraham as you have sworn to our fathers from the days of old. This is God's word. Uh, today, again, we have the privilege of hearing from Dr. Arthurs um, on the final message in our series on the book of Micah. Uh, and the message is entitled, Who is a God Like You? So, Dr. Arthurs, over to you. Good morning, my friends at Crossbridge. We have come to the last passage in the book of Micah. And next, starting next week, we're going to dive into the book of Acts. But here, with the last passage, we, we bring this series and we bring this book to to a climax with a final hymn of praise to God. Sort of like the end of a classical symphony. Dum, dum, da dum. Micah brings it together for us here in the last three verses. Let me see if I can provide an entrance into this last passage, this hymn of praise, by calling your attention to the fact that we live in a cause-effect world. We know that's true in the physical world, right? You apply friction to a match and it ignites the match, cause and effect. And then with that match, that fire, you can light uh, the fire in your fireplace, cause and effect. You plant a sapling and then... Later on in the summer and in the fall, you have a bigger sapling, a bigger tree, cause and effect, right? If you want to see this uh, demonstrated in a quirky three or four minute film, look up on YouTube, The Way Things Go. It's a quirky film uh, made by a couple of German uh, filmmakers. Uh, it's, all, it's all cause and effect, the way things go. A tire rolls, thump, thump. Thump, thump, and knocks over a candle, and the candle, the flame, ignites a fuse, pss, and the fuse burns all the way up a ladder, and at the top of the ladder, it ignites a rocket, and the rocket, pss, it shoots into a hoop, and it falls down, and it goes on like that for three or four minutes, cause and effect. In the physical world, it is true also when it comes to human character. Didn't our Lord say what is on the inside, you might say the cause, the Bible word is heart, comes out 
on the outside, actions and words. The Lord Jesus said, um, out of the heart, the mouth speaks. Proverbs says, out of the heart flow the issues of life. And this truth about cause and effect and inside and outside is also true, and I, I speak reverently, of God. That is to say, what is, would you say, on the inside, uh, his character, his essence, who he is, comes out in his actions, his behavior, his grace toward us. And this truth about the inside, the outside cause-effect runs underneath our passage, Micah chapter 7, 18, 19, and 20. Because we praise God for who he is, I'm calling that the inside or the cause, his character. We praise God for who he is and for the actions that proceed from that. And Micah ends his book, dum, dum, da, dum, with a hymn of praise for who he is and what he has done. And may I go on record by saying, I praise God, <laughs> along with Micah, for the kind of person, I speak reverently, the kind of person he is, faithful, powerful, wise, omniscient, personal, not just a force, not just abstract, but who he is leads to actions and we're the beneficiaries of those actions. Okay, let me show it to you in our passage. First of all, who he is. We praise God for this and it's in verse 18. Who is a God <laughs> like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. That's who he is. He delights in hesed. Do you know that word? It's an important Hebrew word. Hard to translate. Very rich word. Steadfast love. Uh, uh, mercy, you, you, probably we could translate grace. He delights in showing love, in grace, unmerited favor. Have you seen a grandparent, maybe you are a grandparent, delighting in their grandchildren? I mean, they're down on the floor and they're playing and they're tickling and crawling around and they're playing trucks and the grandparent is oblivious to any, uh, you know, it's not embarrassing for them. They are delighting. They're reading books together. Oh, look at the pictures. Read along with me. God delights uninhibited uh, Joy in the object, the grandchild, he delights in showing steadfast love. This is the kind of person he is. And I've gone on record. Will you go on record with me? We praise him. We thank him. We join this hymn of praise to this great God. 
Do you remember maybe 15 years ago or so, maybe 10 years ago, the movie called The Apostle? Uh, Robert Duvall was the main character. He directed it. I think he might have written it. And uh, this Southern preacher uh, takes up residence in a Southern town, and he has a radio ministry, and he starts a little church, and he also uh, does uh, missions of mercy, like for, for the poor people of the town that don't have enough groceries or whatever. He'll buy groceries, and he'll put them in uh, shopping bags, and he and his disciple, his partner, they'll take them up to the front porch of these little ramshackle houses, and they'll leave them right by the door, and they'll knock on the door, and then they'll run away, and they'll look and watch in the bushes as the people come out. There's food. Where'd it come from? And they're just so delighted. They're in the bushes. They're laughing and giggling. That's a picture of our great God. He delights in grace. We praise him. We praise him for who he is. He is a good shepherd. Remember the parable? The sheep gets lost, uh, separated from the flock, and it, it's out in the wilderness, and it's, it, it's helpless. And the good shepherd goes searching for it, and he finds it, and he puts it on his shoulders, and he carries it, and it's heavy, and he gets back to his village. And he says, rejoice with me, because I found the sheep. That which was lost is found. Come have a party. C.S. Lewis has a different image, same, same concept. He says, God is like a, a diver uh, on a platform, maybe at a lake, a high wooden platform, and, and he dives, and it's a beautiful swan dive, and push into the water, and he plunges in, and the water is uh, greenish, you know, grayish lake water, and he goes deeper, and uh, the sun is a little obscured, and it the water turns temperatures. He goes deeper and deeper, and he goes even further down, and it's now black, and he goes all the way to the bottom, and the bottom of this lake is not a nice sandy uh, bottom. It's like yucky, you know, lake. It's muck at the bottom, and he plunges his hand into that muck, and he finds what he's looking for, a treasure. And up, up, up he goes. His lungs are bursting. He comes out of the water. Look, look what I have. Look what I found. That's what he did for you and me. This is the kind of person he is. He, this, this is what, I speak reverently, this is what he takes pleasure in. He delights in showing grace and steadfast love. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad? Can you think of a sin that troubles you? Bring it to Jesus. Remembering this is the kind of person he is. He doesn't harbor his anger forever. He, he's looking. He's seeking. He's plunging and coming up. What did the old hymn say, early American hymn tune, and maybe the words, uh, Come, ye sinners, poor and needy, weak and wounded, sick and sore, 
Jesus ready stands to save you, full of pity, love, and power. This is the kind of person he is. You might say it's his essence, his inner qualities. Notice there in verse 18, he does not retain his anger forever. Now, some people, they hold grudges, it seems like forever. And they're in a constant kind of grumpy, uh, unforgiving state. But that is not our God. Now, Micah has showed us over and over again in this book that he is angry. He is angry at covenant breakers. There is discipline. We totally get that. But here at the end, tum, tum, ta-dum, he doesn't retain this anger forever. There's something deeper. C.S. Lewis might say there's a, there's a deeper magic. <laughs> and that is that he delights in steadfast love. All right, what then does this inner quality, you might say this cause, what effect does it produce? What does he do? Here's the second truth in our passage. We praise God for what he does. Yes, for who he is and for what he does. And we see that in 19 and 20. And here we have four descriptions of what he does, and each of them begins with the word will. He will um, so you can flag those uh, for these four th things that he does in 19 and 20. He will again have compassion. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. You will show faithfulness to Jacob and steadfast love. That's our word again, uh, uh, hesed. You will show steadfast love to Abraham as you have sworn to our fathers from the days of old. He keeps his covenant. He swore it way back with Abraham and then to Abraham's son Isaac and Jacob and renewed with uh, Moses and David. And, uh, and he's not going back on that. This is what he does. He keeps his promises, steadfast love. He is true and reliable. The first phrase, he will have compassion. Isn't that beautiful? He might be angry. We might be under the hand of God, might be disciplined. He will again have compassion. The second phrase is, he will tread our iniquities, stomp underfoot. In the Bible, the foot is like a symbol of authority, like um, uh, Abraham, God told Abraham to walk all over the promised land and wherever the sole of his foot touched, then he, he would own that land. He claimed that land, like the foot is uh, a sign of ownership. Well, what is God doing? He's taking our iniquities and stomp. I win. Get underneath me. I obliterate, like if you stomp out a campfire, stomp, 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 obliterate it, make sure it's out. He will tread our iniquities. And what's Micah talking about? Well, remember the sin's idolatry? Stomp. <laughs> 
injustice. They were gouging each other. Stomp. Drunkenness. Remember, stomp. The priests of the prophets were, were, were tickling ears. They were telling the people just what they wanted to hear. Stomp. Get rid of that thing. And today we think about you and I have lied. In Jesus' name, stomp. <laughs> Lust, stomp. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Pride, maybe that most pervasive and, and worst sin. Pride, boasting, and arrogance, stomp. This is what he does. He obliterates our sins in his son Jesus. And we praise God for what he does. Next one, he will show faithfulness. Once again, to this remnant, he will show. This is another important word. It's, it's all the way through the Old Testament, faithfulness. It, the word is emmet. Is anyone out there named emmet? You have a great name. Um, the, the idea is reliability. He, he, he will, he'll be steady and reliable. And what he said, he will do. He will, again, show faithfulness to Jacob, steadfast love to Abraham. He's reliable. Do you ever have a weak tooth? You know, you're, you're chewing and it's fine over here, but you got this place over here. You chew on it. It, it, it doesn't feel, it feels weak. It feels like it's going to break. It's unreliable. And then it does break and you go to the dentist and have to get a crown or something. I used to live in a a house that had a, a very small back porch, just a little uh, three or four feet wide. And it had uh, maybe two steps, maybe three steps down to the, the level of the backyard. And every time I came firing out of that back door of the house and came down those steps, every time I stepped on, I think it was the middle step, it just felt like it was going to break. It was like, it would sag underneath my weight. And I would try to remind myself, now you know that's a bad one, so skip that step. But you know, when you're coming out of the house and you're on your way to go run, or to go play tennis or something you can't remember. And every time I stepped on, well, guess what? That unreliable step broke. And it didn't even break when I stepped on it. It broke when my wife stepped on it. And she weighs like 20% of what I weigh. It was unreliable. It wasn't doing its job. But God is faithful. He is emmet, reliable. So the theology here is that he's talking about is that God made a covenant with Abraham way back, long before Micah was writing. You can read about it in Genesis 13, Genesis 17, Genesis 22, and it was renewed later on to the, 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 the ancestors, to the, the founding fathers of the nation. And here's the good news for us. The covenant's still going. And we too, we who are in the church, we who are in the new covenant, we also are children of Abraham and God's word still applies to us and the same yesterday, today, and forever. Galatians chapter 3 says, if you are Christ's, if you, if you believe in Jesus, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise he made. This is what he will do. This is the action that flows from who he is. He will be faithful, reliable to the promise, the covenant that he made. This is good news. 
This is going to help you on Monday morning and Tuesday morning and Wednesday afternoon because you will remember even in the ups and downs of life and the problems, because there are problems, right? Somebody chat, amen. There's problems, but he is present. He knows. He is with us. He's reliable. He delights in steadfast love. Praise him. Here with Micah at the end of the book. We capture these kinds of truths in our hymns. For example, on Christ, the solid rock I stand. He's solid. He's reliable. One of the verses says, his oath, his covenant, his blood support me in the whelming, the overwhelming flood. That's right. When all around my soul gives way, he then is all my hope and stay. On Christ, the solid rock My faith is founded there. All the other ground, just sinking sand. Okay, finally then, fourth fourth, uh, phrase that begins with the word will. Uh, Verse 20, you will cast, excuse me, verse 19, you will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. This is a nice image. You will cast, get out of your sins, kerplunk, splash. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea, never to be seen, never to be, never to rise up again, never to to haunt us again. They're gone. They're out of here. This is what he does through Jesus Christ, our Lord. In Orthodox Judaism, these verses, uh, 18, 19, 20, are read during the afternoon service on the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. The ceremony that goes along with it is called the Tashlik service, Tashlik, perhaps Tashlik service. It means casting off. It comes from this verse, you will cast our sins. And here's the ceremony. The Orthodox Jew goes to the ocean or a river. It needs to be, if possible, moving water, running water. And they empty, while these verses are being read, they empty their pockets of whatever is in them. And they have put things in there before, little pieces, little scraps of bread. And these little pieces of bread uh, symbolize our sins. And you empty them out while these are recited. I like that ceremony. I think that that's terrific. But with respect, I think Micah's message is a little bit different and maybe even a little bit better because we're in Micah, we're not the ones who are casting off our sins. He takes our sins. Get out of here, sins. He casts them off into the ocean of the cross. This is what the Bible teaches. He became sin for us. Our sins were laid on him, the iniquity of us all. He absorbed our sins into the ocean of his love. 
This is where Micah is concluding his whole book. He's talked about the anger of God and judgment and the enemies are surrounding and the people's idolatry and all this. But here at the end, he says, let me just remind you, he is the kind of person that delights in steadfast love. And this leads him to be faithful and cast our, all our sins into the depths of the sea. The great preacher from London uh, back in the 1800s, Charles Spurgeon, put it this way, with one great draft, meaning like one big drink, a draft, with one great draft, he drained damnation dry. Whereas Micah says, he will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. He will tread them underfoot because they fell on his dear son, Jesus. Okay, my friends, that's who he is. He delights in Hesed. And this is what he does. He will be faithful and reliable. He will act toward us, motivated by love. He will tread our sins underfoot. He will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. It is as simple as cause and effect. It is as profound as the heart of God displayed in loving actions and you and I are the beneficiaries of what he has done in Jesus. Thanks be to God. Will you go on record with me? Thank God. Praise him. Live your life for him. Thank you, Father. Thank you. You are good. And we are caught up in the tide of your love. Amen. And now receive this benediction. Walk this week remembering who he is and what he has done for you in Christ. Amen.